Welcome back to another episode of the Individuation Podcast. My name is James Malmas. So we've got a great episode for you. Today we have a special guest joining the episode, Eric Tomlinson, a professor and mental health care worker who joins us today to discuss the Young Map of the Soul, Chapter 7. It is another simulcast episode with Dr. Lahab Al Samurai, Isaac Miller from the Daily Archetype, and Karen Apple. So without any further ado, Dr. Al Samurai, take it away. Welcome to another episode of the Individuation Podcast. I am Dr. Lahab Al Samurai, and today joining me in the dark corner is Eric Tomlinson. Uh, Dr. Tomlinson um, has uh, is a professor. He is also a mental health care worker. Um, also, he has been and may could describe himself anyway. Uh, Karen Apple is with me in the bottom square. And uh, for those who are listening on the radio, I'm making jokes of uh, our Zoomcast. And uh, opposite to me, but also on the bottom, is Isaac J. Miller from the Daily Archetype. Hello. I, I didn't say it with that much enthusiasm, but no, that's okay. I, he is enthusiastic. He will introduce himself. I will let the others introduce themselves. Uh, Karen, my dear, why don't you take it away and say hello to our listeners? Hello, listeners. I'm Karen Apple. I'm an naturopathic medical student, and I graduate in less than six months, and I'm super excited <laughs> about that. And I appreciate being a guest on the show. Isaac. Hello, everyone. My name is Isaac J. Miller, and I host and co-founded The Daily Archetype, which is mostly me just being excited about this nerdy psychology stuff. And along those lines, uh, I want to hear a little bit about uh, Eric and his background, since he's the newest guest of honor. Eric in the dark corner, would you like um, to speak? Ask me a question, Isaac. What, what is it you uh, want to know? We, oh, we, 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 I'm sorry. Go ahead, Isaac. I was just going to say, uh, since you're, we, we talked to you a little bit, not recorded, but, and I know you have a uh, multi decade relationship, uh, friendship with Dr. Lahab. So I uh, just want to know a little bit about your, your background and, and especially in psychology. And I heard that you um, were, a long time ago, what do you call it? Analyzed or counseled by Dr. Murray Stein, who's the author of the book that we're still discussing. Uh, yes, um, I um, my, my bachelor's was in psychology. I then got a master's in social services. Then I got a doctorate in psychology, um, and <clears throat> I met uh, Dr. Al Samurai working um, with a. Uh, with an abused population for a number of years, um, both administratively and clinically. And um, I also, due to Dr. Lahab's connection with Murray, Dr. Stein, um, he was able to get me on uh, Murray's list. So I went to him for two years and I would have kept going, but of course he then had to leave and go to Switzerland, um, you know, to take over the Institute at that point. Um, I, ironically, I think I've got 
I bought every book. I'd always bring a book every time we had a meeting and have him sign it. And the one I can't find is Map of the Soul. So, so, um, irony. yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, so it's been a, a quite a few years since I've, I've read the book. Um, but <clears throat> that's just a quick, quick synopsis. I don't know unless you have some other question you'd like to ask. Well, I guess just generally before we get into it, did you have a chance to brush up on uh, at least chapter seven today, or are we going off your just decades of experience? Uh, I'm, I'm entering tonight going on my brushing up being a 20 year process. All right. Sounds good. All right. Let's dive into I it. I am order. I, I did order the book mm. uh, this afternoon on Amazon though. So okay. hopefully I'll get it soon. Okay, no advertising for Amazon. Okay, uh, for the for young, the mm. self is transcendent. This is Stein. Um, I'll start us off since I am very eager to get into this chapter because this is the God archetype mm. for uh, Dr. Jung. Dr. Jung, for mm. Jung, the self is transcendent, which means that it's not defined by or contained within the psychic realm, but rather it lies beyond it. And in an important sense, defines it. It is the point about the self's tran transcendence that makes Jung's theory different from those of other self theorists like Kohat. For Jung, the self is paradoxical, not one self. It is more than one subjectivity. Its essence lies beyond the subjective realm. The self forms the ground for the subject's commonality with the world, with the structures of being. In the self, subject and object, ego and other, are joined in a common field of structured energy, which Yoda would say is the force. This is the point I hope will become most salient from what follows in this chapter. Stein, page 152, and Young's Map of the Soul. Uh, Karen, Go ahead, Isaac. You, well, no, I, I, I hear you. I hear you watering up for this one. Go oh, ahead. no. I, actually, I was eager to hear. I did, I did a podcast. I'll just say briefly that I did a podcast yesterday. Uh, with some three other fellow podcasters. Is that, and... uh, is that okay with us, Karen? <laughs> yeah, I cheated on you guys. Sorry. <laughs> we did not know you were uh, okay. podcasting with other people. Well, it took us by surprise. All right. So, all right. Well, I'll get get over it. Let us yeah. get over it, Isaac, and then we'll move forward. Okay, okay go ahead. Well, uh, but the, the subject was along these same lines. It was about the relationship with the, tot the totality of being, which is similar to uh, the, the self-concept and, and that we have an inevitable relationship with the totality of being, which is something very uh, divine-like or God-like. And because we have that inevitable uh, relationship with something at least that is experienced seemingly divine, not in an ideological sense, but in an experiential sense, uh, that puts a heavy responsibility on the individual, uh, which is a lot of what this chapter is about. It's just kind of going at it from a different angle. But uh, uh, I was more eager to hear what uh, 
what Karen thought since this is uh, a little bit new to her and her background. So Karen, what did you think of this chapter generally? Well, in general, what I thought of this chapter was that I, the next paragraph after the one that Dr. Lahab just read, no. I have it underlined, I have it starred. I think that is pretty huge and I'm, I'll read from it in a second. Yeah. And then a little bit later, I, I picked up on a, a few more things, but then all of the diagrams mm. and like trying to understand how things are connected, um, that was way over my head. And I know that you are- That's into, the four you, archetypes, Karen. Also, okay. it's something Those that you- the four archetypes in the middle. <clears throat> Also, I would say that top and the bottom. these type of things, um, it's something only empirical in the way that you experience it through this kind of thing that we're even doing right now. In other words, like it's, it's not like you can say, look, one plus two equals that's what the self is or whatever. <laughs> um, it rather, it's like go through a journey to try to uh, grasp these uh, concepts and that is experiencing what it's after so it's it's empirical in that it's a internal uh experience in it, rather than the typical way that we think of empiricism Just because like of the, the collective unconscious yeah well yeah. I, so as that you go through trying to understand these paradoxes that i mean it's almost like cohen's you know like zen cohen's like sound of one hand clapping things like that yeah yeah totally yeah, so as the, which is like a meditative thing, or like I think we talked about in one of these chapters, uh, looking inside the atom changes the viewer and the viewed. Mm. So it's, it's the same kind of principle. Yeah, I could just sit with um, this, this one paragraph, the one right after what Dr. Hobb read, and I'm going to read from it a little bit. The typical yeah. English usage of the word self makes it difficult to appreciate what Jung is getting at in his theory. And like, hands down, like my idea of the word self was nowhere near where Jung was, but that's mm -hmm. why I'm reading this. As used in everyday parlance, self is equivalent to ego. When we say that someone is selfish, we mean that they are egotistical or narcissistic. But in a Jungian vocabulary, self has the opposite meaning. I'm like, wait, what? Um, to say well, it does and it doesn't, but go ahead. Mm, to say so to say that someone is self-centered is to say that they're precisely not egotistical and narcissistic but rather philosophical or philosophical having a wide perspective and not personally reactive or easily thrown off balance so when i think of this when he defines it with self-centered rather it's like a centered self or a grounded self versus like selfish the way that I'm used to hearing the word selfish being used. Well, okay. well, self is an archetype. So you have to remember that within the self, um, there is a hierarchy. The highest, the highest part of the hierarchy is the self. It is the, uh, what uh, Stein puts very beautifully. I thought this was an amazing chapter. He really showed kind of like his intellectual um process he really kind of like yeah. laid it out it was beautifully written it was very concise yeah. um i could only admire time. how he like put all that information in those few pages but yeah. he says that it is the organizing principle that everything else revolves around 
where yeah. even in the hierarchy where they do a, a topographic map is that the shadow is actually less um, less a part or a less player um, than the anima and the animus. Right. And uh, but in the end, they all combine to the self. And actually, the ego is like a flashlight from the self. That's all it is. It's only a projection of a piece of the middle of the consciousness part of the self. That's why the ego feels like well, it knows everything. everything is. Well, and, th and that's what's confusing about it, too, I guess, is that the self, and this is why I said it is and it isn't, is okay. Normally, the when we think of the word self and kind of what that paragraph is getting at in the sort of like English vernacular is it means like an individual. But the way that uh, Carl Jung is using the word self is it's similar to what I was saying as my uh, subject that I recorded yesterday was the, the totality of being. So it includes the collective self, which is experienced through the individual self. And then it's like Dr. Lahab was saying where the ego consciousness, like the consciousness that we're uh, experiencing almost constantly, that's just a fractal or a fragment reflection of that totality of being self. Uh, it's which, almost which, like a beam that's well, coming out. Yeah, well, because we can only, because what that we are in our biology, the way that our brain chemistry is, the way that our psychology is, the way that we think, act and behave, we didn't just like get born and be like, okay, I'll go do this or wake up one day and be like, oh, let's do this. It's a amalgam from. I told you to stop doing that, Isaac. Amalgaming? No, go ahead. Okay. Joke. Go on, move on. Okay. But it's amalgam from like a million years of history that led up to what we are. And then, it's, and then also our thinking is an amalgam or a collective of uh, everything else that's going on in, in the world. Well, that's our family, our culture and everything else. So I, I liked where he says that it's like a stamp. Yeah, it's a copy of a copy of a copy. Mm -hmm. and the selfish? Is, yes. Well, the individual self, the way we yeah. think oh. of the individual self, Okay. that it's a copy of a copy of a copy, but they're all interconnected. They're all one copy. So as an mm. organism, if I understood this correctly, as an organism, um, all of us, all of ourselves are connected into one larger self. And that's why when a group of people project out the self, they see God. So if you're sitting in church and everybody's going, ah, they're seeing God because they're projecting the self on to the idea that God was man. Well, in a way, even in Jungian terms, and not just trying to I reconcile. I was using Jungian terms. Well, okay. well, not well. What we were talking about. This that I had podcast yesterday. Go ahead. Well, we're, well, I mean, we were talking about um, in a hypothetical church sense, or what goes on in a, in a church, for example. I was talking about church. I was talking about the projection of God onto us. Uh, right. So a group of people symbol. sitting sitting in a place and they talk about God and they project it out to, to be a certain way, in particular, that it was man. But and that, that's true that that happens in those settings. And it's almost like, oh, look, they shouldn't do that because they're just projecting out what God was was man. 
which is true, but it's also uh, the case that God was man in the, the Jungian terms and, and that the, or at least the self was always in man throughout time and manifest in a um, pattern of behavior, which is, that gets more into certain other works. I, f- I forget where, but the, it's like the, uh, where it talks about the archetype of the self in Aeon and, and others where um, the self is a pattern of behavior, which is to you know, unify ego consciousness with the self. Well, he says, he mm. says, he uses Ion as uh, the, um, the primary text where Young goes and defines the archetype of the self. Right. But you said something about that the self is within us. It's not right. within us. Well, it's both. It's experience within us, but it's flowing everywhere. It's like the it's force. Not, it's 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 everywhere because the boundaries are exactly. It is everything and nothing. Right. That's the pleroma. Ah, the pleroma. We are it, and it is us, but we don't know. It could be as vast as the ocean, or the or universe. It could be a minuscule ant. Or nothing. Your fingers. Yeah. Or nothing. Yeah. So that is what? always a dilemma. Of the <laughs> Karen's mind's getting blown right now. Well, it's energy, Karen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, energy in the fact think of that, it that way. Well, and, and he talks it about it in the in those terms later in the yeah. chapter, yeah. where it's energy, almost like how we describe uh, spiritual things. Sometimes it's like wind or breath that you can't see it, but you can see the, the effects of it. And sometimes, okay, so the energy well, and the fact... Let's, let's that, quote Young. Sure. And uh, Stein quotes Young on page 157. He says, the self, mm. dot, 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 is <laughs> completely outside the personal sphere and appears, if at all, only as a religious mythologem. And its symbol range from the highest to the lowest. Anyone who wants to achieve the difficult feat of realizing something, not only intellectually, but also according to its feeling value, mm-hmm. must, for better or worse, come to the grips with the anima animus problem in order to open the way for a high union, a connectio opisturum. Uh, this is the indispensable prerequisite for wholeness. Wholeness is also used as the term for the self. So Stein here is saying that its edges seem to be within our grasp, but they're, they're actually they're fluid. And it contains us within the sphere that it contains the larger organism. And that's why he starts to talk about the psychoid realm. And if our listeners remember, in the earlier podcast, we talked about the psychoid. The psychoid is the psyche of the body. Or the body's psyche, if, uh, if you let me take some liberties, where the body's intuition and understanding is called the psychoid realm. Well, the psyche is more connected to the intellectual side 
of our understanding of the world. The psychoid realm is the part of the body. He says the self is both the psychoid and the psychic range. It connects to both. And that actually we cannot experience one without the other because we need both. Right. Go ahead, Isaac. You had something to say. Oh, um, hmm. I was just thinking in terms of on this this ego idea, um, he, he calls it, he says it has a dual center. And this reminds me a lot of what you talk about in Jamp. As a dual center that is a trauma and an archetype of the self of the, of the self so basically what that makes me think of is that life the experience of life is traumatic it, yes of course trauma is the horrible things like abuse that we think of but also like being born is traumatic and so the whole trauma of life puts us in this uh thing where it protects our ego and that's what isolates our ego consciousness from the self. But what we then need to do is if we're to grow into wholeness uh, consciously, that is to break down those barriers and heal those complexes to sort of reintegrate the um, ego consciousness with the self-consciousness and make it unified again, which is sort of what we get at Ooh. with Jamp and what uh, this whole process is all about of the self and individuation which is sort of the, the next chapter but uh it's, it's all about breaking down those complexes between uh the ego and the self and sometimes he he explains it as um uh like like a tree that grows like everyone just naturally has this growth of maturation but the problem isn't that we don't mature it's that we are we isolate ourselves from that maturing process and so to become we're more disconnected we're split off this is right. where jam comes in right right we, we create these uh fractures especially because and that's why i think that you know he talks a lot about the um the midlife crisis where i think what that's supposed to do like that's in us evolutionarily that if we want to become more than just these tribal people and then transcend to something that can, well, in a tribal sense, sort of evolutionarily is to uh, help the tribe and pass down wisdom of, you know, the self and whatever else that we want to hand down, we have to overcome our ego, which is what we usually do later in life. Although now hopefully we can come to do it, you know, earlier in life. And then we uh, overcome the ego, integrate it with the self. And then we are, uh, like mature, integrated, and and whole. Although that's a eternal uh, process, it's never ending. So it's more of the development of the animals. So at a certain point, the development of the animal mm. has to give way to the development of the psychic part of um, the animal. Yeah, it's, this it's psychic, like this psychic integrating region. them. Well, first. The animal has to give up ego. So the animal can no longer keep chasing things that when they were younger, they needed to right. make them feel secure, to make them feel like money, like housing. At right. a certain point, the animal should be satisfied and be able to grow into this other psychic being to help tribe, right, right, right. to help the younger animals kind of evolve and become and become wiser. Mm. 
And that's why I'm going to refer to Karen, because Karen knows that we are animal at heart, but psychically we are not. Psychically, we are connected to the cosmos. Mm. So we are both. And that that understanding and that connection between the both gives us that point of what Young would call individuation. Is, does that sound, Karen, something like that you've learned in your uh, your studies of sort of like the, the Eastern background of the psychosomatic connection? Well, definitely um, the mind-body connection is very strongly a part of our curriculum. I would mm. say that they've started emphasizing more about a spiritual aspect. Mm. Um, that's largely been ignored in Western medicine. Um, right. And some people can kind of think when they hear spiritual, they automatically think religion. But one thing that we definitely try to um, do is embrace spiritual as a bigger word. Versus mm. it's not necessarily organized religion and someone being a certain or a part of a certain organized religion. It's, it's, it's much broader and vaster and it can be different things to different people, but that most certainly most people have it. And if they lack it or they aren't able to name it, um, there can be some uh, like disease like process there. Like yeah. most everyone is connected to something spiritually in some right. way or some form. May, they may not be used to the term spiritual. They might, you know, mm. have their own language for it, but we're definitely like, that's something that is needed to be considered healthy. Right. Well, that's practice. communing with the energy. The self, yeah. When you commune with the energy, sometimes you call it spiritual. Sometimes you call it religious. Sometimes you have to do it in a church because you need a, a venue to commune with the energy. Sometimes you could commune with the energy through meditation or yoga for long periods of time. Some people have or to... champ. Yeah, exactly. Have to um, pray five times a day. Some people uh, will go through jam, but this is basically communion with the energy. I like that phrase. So... Yeah. And it's, well, I was just going to say, well, it makes me think of a uh, like a Zen saying of, you know, chop wood, carry water, which is this idea that uh, the Zen or the Tao is in or should be in everything that you do, whether it's your, your daily life, your, your daily work, or you, know, you can make anything that you do a prayer or a meditation, whether that's doing dishes, uh, doing a podcast, reading a book. Um, you know, it's just all about your uh, sort of mindset and how that you look at it as like, uh, I get to do this, I'm present it, I am um, enjoying it for the sake of what it is, instead of this whole like disassociation of like, I could be doing something cooler than this, you know, it's like, you, you embody what you're doing, even if it's just like, uh, a, a daily task of walking the dog or, or, or whatever, then you can make just about anything sort of that spiritual and and which is an experience of the self or the totality of being but the, most of the time when we say i could be doing something else and this mm. is boring is basically when we are cut off right or so disassociated yeah it's not that we're cut off we're always connected to self we're right, always right. connected to the archetypes it's not that we're cut off as we're disassociated from it right right 
So when it comes, it looks like a mystical experience. Wow, you know, I had this thought the other day. It came to me and I was yeah. blown away. That's the self. Yeah. That's, uh, that's not that you were blown away. That's you were seeing that you are not uh, the four digits that you think you are. Yeah, and you experience the archetype. Exactly. The experience of the archetype helps you commune with the energy. When yeah. you commune with the energy, you feel like you get high. It feels right. like a presence. And that's why people say, oh, when I pray to my Lord, I feel like I am sitting in his lap. Basically, what she's saying is that she is finally comfortable within the self. Mm. Yeah, that, that yeah, reminds me. Praying to Lord, but the uh, Lord and sitting in his lap is a little weird. Well, that sitting in self lap, different. Well, it makes me think of uh, really easily the um, image that Carl Jung gave in his one big interview where he talks about the woman, and I, we might have mentioned it some time ago, but the, the woman who uh, he was in therapy with, and she had this vision. I forget exactly if it was like a dream. I think it was a dream, but basically, this vision that she had where she was, I think she was being held by Jung like a baby, but in the dream. And there was like this wheat flowing back and forth. But what it was is like her being held by nature and sort of like a archetypal uh, figure to her. And so it was like that was like her self experience of, you know, experiencing the self. And so it can come to anybody, anywhere, anytime, just about, you know, so, some people describe that like when they are playing sports or they are, you know, doing just about anything when they get into those flow states. And it, so it's always something there for us if that we are, uh, are ready to, you know, interact with it. But I feel like uh, Eric might have something to say. <laughs> Eric, what do you think? Well, I've um, <clears throat> been thinking a lot about everything that is being said, and yeah. it's finally starting to, everything is finally starting to, for me to come back around to a single idea or a thought, um, the communion with self, the communion with energy that Dr. Alzheimer I mentioned, the search for something bigger than ourself, which, of course, the, the ultimate goal is from that um, that point of view is, is wholeness. That would be that would be something that people are constantly searching for. Mm. And then that self is energy. And then I, it just got me to thinking about how even uh, Jung to me was the was a psychologist that or psychoanalyst or. <laughs> psychiatrist or psycho whatever you want to call him mm -hmm. that whether he was trying to or not included the concept of and the idea of physics involved in right. his descriptions and it started making me think about how he looks at things from the greatest holistic point of view the macro right. level and yet he gets down into self and gets into the energy of self and starts bringing out concepts of quantum mechanics. Mm. 
and I started thinking about, and there are some good uh, scientists finally starting to get a finger hold into searching about this energy of the self, energy of the unconscious mind, the Journal of Neuroscience, Journal of Neuropsychoanalysis, uh, Journal of the Psycho Psychoanalytic Review, just to name a few. And they talk about these microtubules that are, that give off vibrations. Mm. And these vibrations, they basically they're made out of protein, protein polymers, tubulin is what they're called. And they create microtubule vibrations that form EEG rhythms. So the very essence of our self is energy. It's, it's waves. Right. And that's the same energy that's a part of everything else in the universe. Mm. So when we realize, when, we, when I think, I'll just use me as an example. Mm. When I think about self mm. and it needing to be greater than something, it already is. Right. Myself is energy. It is energy waves that are moving throughout my brain, throughout my body. It's contained in a unit, but it's still a part of the, the energy waves that extend beyond my body and those that come into my body. Yeah. So it makes me feel like I am a part of something bigger mm. and, and, and I can see it from that perspective in addition to all the other ways that people try to view themselves as being a part of something bigger, many of which have already been mentioned. Mm -hmm. So that's just off the top of my head, a shotgunning of a few thoughts to, uh, you know, to answer your question, if I had anything to say. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. I mean, um, Did that make any sense? Yeah, well, it gets that. Um, that's good. Although when we get into these concepts of energy, he talks about it a bit in this chapter more toward the end. Um, and, and then but although these, these energy principles are kind of like throughout every chapter, just a little bit, but they're more so I think in the uh, chapter eight, nine, that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, but it, it's almost see, like he was uh, when he was writing these, uh, Carl Jung, it was like at the dawn of physics as we we know it. Although what has come after that, string theory and M theory, sounds more like uh, like what you're talking about, which actually uh, does more of this proving that there is a underlying energy principle th flowing throughout everything and along those notes of what that is and what we're talking about that we can interact with that. And that's like a superordinate uh, transcendent principle that he calls the self. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. That's exactly what I was, how I yeah. was thinking about it. Thank you for yeah. summing it up for me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Luke Skywalker says, to mm. ask Yoda question. He says in return of the Jedi, he said, master Yoda, what is this force? He says, the force, he says, force is energy of all the living things in the universe. Every living being is connected to each other. Within this energy, it's called the force. What he is talking about is the great self. The great mm. self is all these independent pieces of energy. They're all connected to one thing. They're connected, their connection creates this so this thing called the force in Yoda's mind. Mm. 
But mm-hmm. yes, it is as we understand more and more about how energy works and how energy moves, we understand that we are energy. We are basically, yeah. as Eric said, we are uh, we can uh, be picked up as electrical beings. And when we die, we are no longer electrical beings. The electrical part disappears. Although the organic part stays to transform, the electrical psychic part that we can pick up by EEG disappears. Karen, thoughts? No, I, I, uh, I love it. <laughs> Our mind's just it's, getting blown. Yeah, my mind's getting blown. I, I love it. I think it's very interesting. And this, just even the idea that there's something bigger than not the young version of self, but just my American version of the word self. Like mm. there's something bigger out there. Um, and it sounds like connecting all of us and everything. Um, yeah, Isaac, it blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it also goes back to the one theory. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the one world theory. The self, the self is the primary to the one world theory. Mm. Mm. The self is primary to that because all these pieces connect into a larger being. It also goes back to the organism we call the planet. But the self, I think in Jung's terms, is bigger than just Mother Earth. That we're right. connected to everything. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And Karen, what you described to me, I don't know if uh, it will do the same for you, whether it be now or in the future, but it has a, as time goes on, it has a greater and greater calming effect on me to mm. think about myself in that regard. Mm. Because um, in a way, it's one of the ways that part of what myself was and part of who I am and what I am when I die, that energy doesn't go away. It doesn't die. I, this physical body dies. I don't know how much of there will, I don't know if there will be a conscious or even a unconscious part of me floating around, but, but at least I know that every atom and subatomic particle in my body is going to exist somewhere out there after I'm gone. Because it already does. It exists within you and exists without you. Right. So it's this is a little bit of like another metaphysical level, but essentially we can theorize that the our bodies are these conduits for uh, consciousness put into this container of an individual that we might think of more of the traditional word of a self or an individual. Um, and so when that container is used up, then the consciousness will, it's, it's really hard to say how that consciousness will, will be. We can, you know, theorize and hypothesize a lot of different uh, possibilities like people have been doing for thousands of years, maybe a million years or more. Uh, but it, it won't cease to be. It will just change form. Well, first law of conservation is what? Energy, Energy cannot can, be destroyed. Neither can be created nor destroyed. Right. It's already there. Right. And, and it always has been and always will be. Correct. So Stein on page mm. 167 says, 
penetrating through the organic level leads to the realm of pure energy, mm. which modern physics has also discovered. This right. comes about by continuing to move ever further into matter until one finally arrives at the point that dissolves into pure energy. But energy is so intangible, intangible. In fact, it is an idea, an abstraction, a concept used to describe something that cannot be observed directly. We know that's not true anymore. We can't observe energy directly. Though it can be measured by its effects. Psychic energy, as we saw in chapter three, is for young, oh, maybe he's talking about psychic energy. For young, the life force, the vitality we bring to our projects, the interest we take in life, right? And in others, it is the power to reckon with. As anyone who has ever suffered from its absence in a clinical depression knows only too well. So the more we lose, the more energy we lose, the more depressed we are. Right, which is just a disassociation. Yes, but we are losing energy. Therefore, we feel the sucking out of energy because right. our energy is inactive. Right, we're detached from the, the self in, in these Correct. terms. It can move mountains, but it is nubilous and unfathomable too. So the descent through the layers of the psyche from the highest level of the idea and ideal and image through the concretes of the ego existence and the body's reality into the chemical molecular composition of our physical being leads finally to pure energy and back into the realm of ideas which is the world of no or new of the mind of spirit. Thus, the quaternities touch at the poles of their greatest opposition at the extreme of the spirit and matter. Young drew this dynamic. Okay, so he drew a map, which is basically the four archetypes again. Mm -hmm. And he keeps redrawing that map, whether it is a square Or a circle. Well, he does it as a double pyramid. In this. Yeah. yeah. So. Make your own diagram. But not this week. Oh, man. <laughs> so. Um, on page uh, 168. Uh, Stein says, and he starts it by the self as the central mystery of the psyche. It is obvious from Jung's writing, Jung's writing, that unity and totality were his highest values. And that the self formed his principal, per, personal myth. But it is a myth that he attempted to ground in evidence and theory. More correctly, the theory of the self, the concept that there is a transcendent center that governs a psyche from outside of itself and circumscribes its entirety was a means that Jung used to account for basic psychological phenomena such as the spontaneous appearance of circles or mandalas. Yeah, he gave an interesting story where when he start, sort of... Well, a couple at the beginning of this. One is the sort of um, what you're just talking about, the circles and mandalas, where 
he hadn't he didn't really have a lot of personal experience with that until world war one where he was he basically had a boring job in the war because the um you know the swiss that he was a part of were um neutral so he, he basically had this pow camp that he was working at with not a lot to do and so when he was and this is when he was in the middle of his sort of like confrontation with the self and so he would uh start his day drawing out circles and that would give him energy and he felt that that was um bringing things out of the collective unconscious which is actually sort of the birth of the the red book in at least the the artistic parts of it and then he gave um another story of more uh, literary things coming from the self at uh, about that same time which is where in his own home he felt he was sure that he saw this knock on the door a couple times with the the knocker moving and the second time someone else saw it too and then after that he started what he called um seven sermons to the dead which is basically like a precursor again to the his uh red books and black books and, and all of that and the seven sermons to the dead is actually really interesting it's not very long it's about the length of this chapter I, I just went over a little bit uh today but it's one of these things where it's just taking these ideas and looking at it from a bunch of different angles as far as uh you know the, the opposites within us and uh, living through the totality of all being, living through the self, although it used different language because it was this, um, you know, sort of po poetic narrative. Um, and so that's why on a practical level, what I'll always tell people that are just having uh, issues in their life, other than, you know, some of the obvious solutions might be uh, some type of counseling or um, jam what I'll tell people is to try to find something creative to do uh, because the, the more you can find something creative to do, especially if it's something that you have some connection to, then that allows the, uh, the unconscious to flow out of you. So today um, mm -hmm. I analyzed a dream for sure. um, our, my client, uh, Grace, um, she's very kind enough to write her dreams down for me. So I wanted to read it to you because I thought I was reading the chapter and I was interpreting her dream today. And I was like, oh, my God, it was like must have read my mind. So which is in the next chapter. But in this, it says um, the night of the 30th of December, she says, I was at an old lady's house. She was not home. The house was tidy, but parts of it were in disarray. So she's dreaming about the self. Uh, I will show you how this goes. My mother came over and told me my aunt had a medical problem and needed help. I was in her house. I offered to help her out. Aunt was in a hospital and was coming home. My mom left and Aunt A arrived. She was dressed in style as usual. However, she was extraordinarily thin. She had a wide stylish belt clinched around her middle, which was about eight inches wide. Her neck was also pencil thin. She was vaguely hourglass shape. It was a beautiful image. 
although the other parts of her body that were not cinched in were also thin, she was very particular about how she wanted her house and was somewhat suspect of my help. I asked her what she wanted and how she wanted it done and prepared her snack to eat. I surmised that due to her thinness, she had been sent home to die. She was still ambulatory and seemed okay, except for the excessive thinness. I left her house, went outside, and was transported to a village square. It looked like, felt like an old European town. The ground was cobblestones, and the square was small, maybe 40 feet in diameter. Of course, the, the dream before, she dreamt of 4H. Now it's 40. Both of my parents were there. My dad was planning a trip for, the, for them. He wanted to drop off my mom at a bank on one side of the square to get cash, then cross the square to what looked like a travel agent's office. He had a car which seemed a bit like overkill, given the size of the ground being covered. There were quite a few people about and something messy all over the ground, which I eventually realized was clothing. As she went on, my dad finally communicated that he wanted to drop off myself and my mom at the bank, then have the two of us walk over and meet at the travel agents. I agreed. My mom and I walked across the plaza towards the travel agent. The plaza was circular. So the self... Circular. So, so she goes from dream one on the 28th, the 29th, the 30th, the 31st, and the first and the second. So each of the dreams, this dream, I felt like I crossed between a 4-H meeting and preaching service. That's the dream. Well, it's a long dream, but that I wanted to bring up. Then in the third dream, a major part of the celebration was cakes. This is Mandela's, right? And... The next dream, um, I find a place to lay my mat that seems not to be intrusive. Next dream, um, at that moment, Alea walked in the kitchen. She said, yes, they were hers. I asked if she wanted me to pull them together. She said, that would be nice. And she saw there was another one by her three dishwashers. She saw another one by the other three. Four shows up over and over again. Mm. Circles, squares. Yep. Right? This, this comes over and over again. This is the self knocking at the door. Hello, do you know I'm here? Do you know? What is the self trying to achieve? I would argue what Stein is saying is that the self is saying that you're not connected. I need you to connect. I would argue that no, the self is showing itself because it thinks the ego is ready to connect. That's just me. Well, yeah, but a, a person's whole life um, is, is somewhat on that journey of uh, trying to become more ready, however much that the ego may or may not want to participate in it. It's, a const it's like a constant 
sort of war of the opposites, the right brain, left brain, ego consciousness, unconsciousness. And this is because of jump, right? Because of the jump treatment, yeah. this is where she is. All right. Dreaming a couple of dreams a night, she is mm. able to recall them almost to a precise point. She writes them down. Mm -hmm. And she's able to talk about them as if she just wrote them down. Yeah. Now that takes, and that's what Jamp has shown because at the beginning, dreams were not in the playbook. Right. Suddenly they started becoming part of the playbook. Which is important because <clears throat> a lot of times when I talk about dreams or whatever, people will ask me like, how can I dream more, <laughs> you know? And Jamp definitely helps with that. Yes, uh, and, and what Freud said was that mm. dreams are the royal road to the unconscious. The fact of the matter is they are the highway. They are the byway. They are the most direct. They are the road to what everything exists. Yeah, they, they are, although... Um, I think what we're learning in this book is that as you become more familiar with this map and the self and everything else involved, then you start, it's like, um, <clears throat> you know, Jung says uh, synchronicity is never present reality for those who are, are ready or, or aware or participating. But um, you start to see these things everywhere not just in dreams, but then in your day-to-day -day life, you're going to see, you know, circles and numbers and uh, particular things that'll be like, okay, that can only be here because of something from the self uh, trying to communicate or draw to wholeness. Yeah. Th then you start to see, well, because what happens is you start to see the, the symbolism in day-to-day -day life sometimes. so what what happens i can give you an example so mm -hmm. if a person starts to hoard yeah they saw a glimpse of the self mm -hmm. and then they wanted to re-experience it as an object right, which right, means right. they are dissociated from it mm -hmm. therefore what they needed to do therefore what happens is they constantly try to control it right Okay, so if it's a newspaper or a magazine, yeah, it's the first thing they identify. It's like, wow, that's beautiful. Look at that. I have to keep this magazine. It's really important. Yeah. But the problem is you don't figure out why it's important. You don't figure out why that book in the library is so important. Right. So instead of understanding that the importance of it is connecting you to the self, right. you end up hoarding books. You end up hoarding <laughs> magazines. You end up hoarding mats. Yeah. You end up hoarding pots because you looked inside and you saw the self. Right. Oh, well, this is a, that's a great point, Dr. Yeah. Samurai, because, it, because recognition mm -hmm. of, <clears throat> of all kinds of things that are, that are exuding from the self, just because we recognize them doesn't mean that we understand them, much less mm -hmm are able or, or are even ready to integrate them. Yes, it's a good step to be able to recognize them, but, but it's only a very primary step. 
So I, I, I love I, I, I love that point you just made. So, so so what happens is is that we see something and we're like, wow, right? But instead of creating a or integrating a bigger understanding of the wow and saying, how does this wow work in the world? What you say to yourself is, wow, I need more. So you do it over and over and over again, but the wow is not being re-experienced. So now you're stuck. The pattern is you start to hoard. You start to go in a circle. Well, that's uh, if you ever watch on, I forget what channel it is, but the show Hoarders, that's what they'll really go through. If you see a hoarder that they they have to get rid of things. And so they have these experts, sometimes even, you know, psychologists and these organization and trash professionals go in and help them, you know, cause their homes are like filled with just junk that they've hoarded for decades. And then they'll be like, they'll try to like work with them. Like, let's just throw away these, you know, old magazines or these old newspapers or some of these things that you, you can pretty, uh, pretty well say that they're not going to be used. And then it, it'll be like ripping out their brains just to throw away some pile of junk. Because um, the projection of the internal is external. Right. Yes. So it, when you're pulling away, it's, it's a part of me yeah. you're pulling away. You're not right. pulling, you're not throwing a magazine into a fire. You're pulling right. a piece of me out. Right, right, right. Because that's the projection of the internal to the external. And a lot of times what happens is, is A, because our society does not validate self. Right. Right. Our, our society validates ego. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah. Go do it, baby. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It does not value like, oh, you're so wise. Oh, tell me <laughs> yeah. more about this world. No. It's like, can you get it done? Yeah. Come on, we can get it. Done. So this is an ongoing task, right? <clears throat> well, also in um, the, the letter that Carl Jung wrote to one of the founders of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, he talked about alcoholism in a very similar way where it's it can be when it becomes an addiction. I mean, of course, even, you know, anybody can drink, but when it becomes an addiction, cheers. it be, yeah, yeah, cheers and that's fine. We, we all drink sometimes or, but um, <clears throat> when it becomes an addiction, it's that it, it's like a religious experience for people. And, and so that's why uh, for some people, they had to replace their alcoholism, not everyone, but to overcome it, they had to replace it with something like a religious experience. Which means that they did not work through their shit. Right. You compensate one object for another object. What you are Mm -hmm. still doing is you are still addicted to the object. You have not integrated the object. So for instance, those who, those who uh, used to do heroin, and now they have to meditate eight hours a day. Right. They're addicted to the object. The object was what? The object was, I get so high. Yeah. So basically, you have transported yourself from heroin to meditation. Yes, meditation is healthier. Yes, it's better for you. Yes. But you're still stuck. Yes. And that's why somebody says, I've been doing meditation for a very long time. 
and really saw very little results, but I yeah. felt great when I did it means that you actually were not physically there. Karen, um, these men have been talking forever. Please speak. Give well, us some feminine energy. Um, yeah, I like how you were just discussing like there was harm reduction there, but um, mm. the actual, the root cause wasn't dealt with. Um, and then Isaac, I wanted to go back to what you're saying about trying to find something creative to do. I was wondering sure. if um, like making collages out of clippings from magazines would be yeah we did that to be called creative oh yeah yeah we did that was fun sure. yeah yeah so um <clears throat> i mean that that's part of it the only the only i guess issue with that is um it's not something you can maybe do on a like ongoing ongoing basis so it's something that maybe you could do sometimes or or maybe do other forms of it like scrapbooking but it's definitely good like that that reminds me of a newer uh jungian therapy that I forget if it's in the category of play therapy or sand therapy, but what they'll do in things like sand therapy is they'll like have this tub of sand and then part of it will be like, they'll have all these figures. They could be like little toys or little, uh, you know, objects that might have meaning for a person when they come into this room of all these objects and sand to do sand therapy in. And then they'll, and then what the sand or art therapist will tell the person to do is, don't like vocally sort of think about what you're doing, just like do stuff. And the, the reason that works is it's, it's really similar to what Carl Jung was doing when he was having uh, visiting with his clients, almost all of them, he would like in one of their first sessions, he would say, uh, all right, here's some paint. One of your first you know jobs is to paint stuff and, and don't think about it. If it's going to be like a, any particular thing or object or whatever, just paint and it, it works best. Like I think we talked about a little bit before if that they don't have um, uh, experience with painting, but they're just like putting right. stuff out from the unconscious to, uh, because what it does, it's, it's almost like um, the more you can do that type of thing um, and you can do it even if you have creativity in your work, but it's, and that, that's kind of like to the chop wood, carry water thing, but it's, um, it's almost like what we were talking about a minute ago with putting objectifying things or like almost deifying objects like, uh, you know, a hoarder will do or uh, not maybe an alcoholic will do with a chemical substance or something like that. But what it does in a more healthy way, kind of similar to meditation, but even better because what it does that's in a way better than meditation is it takes directly out from the unconscious what was there and it puts it as something that you can uh, interact with. Uh, so yeah, scrapbooking can be part of it. Um, but the, the more you can do it, the, the better, like it's something that you can do on a, uh, like, like, uh, yeah, like, uh, you have enough well, magazines, Ken. You can do it yeah, yeah. You can do it. <laughs> If, if, I need to be friends with the hoarder and get their magazines. Yes, yeah, so yeah. basically, <laughs> that's a, the a, issue. A, a the real key, to get cutting. One like of the, Sarah does pottery, which is good. That's a good example. But uh, Eric had something to say. I was just going to say yeah. to that to keep it from becoming um, a a routine engagement 
um, and to keep it on a level where you can continue to benefit therapeutically from it is to always, uh, once it becomes routine, whatever it is, whatever the creative, uh, whatever the, the, the creative engagement is, to add something new to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really the key is to always add something new to it. Yeah. Not just so that it, do, not just for the sake of it not becoming routine, but because it keeps your brain moving forward with the same creative activity that you're engaged in. Uh, and that brings all sorts of things in from different parts of the brain when we keep adding something new to it. And it also stimulates if it's done intensely enough and repetitively enough by adding something new, it can also generate new neuronal growth. Yeah. So I think if I say it a different way, Mm. uh, do not be the faucet, be the hose, be able to move around and spread the water everywhere. Instead of letting, let the water leak out of you over and over and over again in the same way which is basically doing something repetitively, instead of finding different ways to kind of spread that Mm -hmm. creation all over the place. And water as a form of life and giving us life spreads all over the place instead of you pour it in the same pot and pour the pot down the same drain. So in any activity, it doesn't matter what it is. Podcasting. In any activity, you have to take it a step higher. Right. Yes. You can't just get back to the, oh, welcome back. I am here. I am saying what I said last week. No, mm-hmm. it's about am I expanding right. what I am understanding or I am I kind of shutting down and kind of just holding on to something precious and saying, right. oh, pre-, you know, uh, the term precious is like, oh, precious. My precious, precious. is all mine. Anyway, my uh, patient, uh, my other patient had a dream. Mm. Um, and this is his dream, a short dream. Mm. And he says, I was working in a small team that included another man, two women and a child. Another man, two women and a child. Four. So four. Yeah. The child belonged to one of the women, but there were no other affiliations between us. We were preparing a detailed plan to travel forward and backward in time. Hmm. You got to love this backwards and forward, right? Um, It involved going into space, then returning without any passage of time relative to when we left Earth. So you Hmm. go from one point to another point. Oh, that's the unconscious. Time doesn't exist. Right. A professor stopped by to review our plan. He pointed out that once we got into space, there was initial rotation that was not accounted for in a return trip. He said that every maneuver must be done exactly in reverse direction and in reverse order, or it would violate the laws of physics. Hmm. Beautiful. Deep stuff, man. It's it's beautiful. It's like a ballet. Mm-hmm. So here you are deep into the unconscious. Right. The laws of physics have to work in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Or they don't work. 
or do they exist or don't they exist? Or so the psyche here is showing you the self and says deep within the self, mm. everything is in reverse order. Who you think you are is not what you are. Right. It's not only in reverse order, it's in reverse direction. So if you were looking forward, you have to be looking back. Well, fr probably from the experience of an individual. So uh, in other words, and the totality of the self, it's all kind of the same. But in the division of an individual that would make these uh, trips through space and time, you'd have to go a certain way. I mean, almost kind of think of like a, how a zipper goes. You got to go one way and then come back and do the reverse um, or it won't work. Well, it's like a dream. Mm. A dream, you don't know how long it was. It could be a second. Yeah. But you could have experienced it for like 20 minutes. Yeah. You wake up sweating and you're like, oh, my God, how long was I asleep? Two minutes. Yeah. Shit. How did that happen? Yeah. Because that's the experience. The experience is you go from here to somewhere else and you come back and you're still here. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I was talking to this girl a couple of weeks ago about her dream. <clears throat> and one of her dreams, and it was on my, one of my podcasts, but it was like a 30 year dream inside of one oh, night. Wow. And she like lived, she was like a boy in Africa with her brother. And then she came to America and there's this whole like uh, sibling rivalry between them. And at the end, her brother killed her like when they're almost 30 years old. And she like experienced that whole thing in one night's dream. Wow. Yeah, like flattened her the next day because it like, was was like 30 years of reality to her time travel yep just the only place yeah the only place you could do that is within the unconscious right which is encompassed in Jungian terms by the self right right the self is the outer boundaries of the unconscious mm. so what you're experiencing down there you're experiencing right there mm -hmm. so always ask yourself Mm -hmm. this to our listeners always ask yourself why am I doing this what is the purpose of me doing this whether it's a hobby or anything try to gain greater insight into why you do what you do you will find a lot of things about who you are and how you are and these are not questions you asked all the question you need to ask is, why do I do that? Mm. Mm, interesting. I do that over and over again. Why do I do it? Not to question that you should not do it. No, to gain insight on what you are doing in life. Hmm. Eric, Oops, you sorry, have man. something to say. Yeah, go ahead, Eric. I don't think I do at the, at the moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> We misread your mind. We, your we can't see you from the darkness, but we uh, actually, I was thinking projected of, uh, onto the darkness. Yeah, I was actually thinking of uh, I was trying to apply it to an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that I saw where Picard had gone to another planet, had lived an entire life, got married, mm. had a child, became a leader in the town. And then when he woke up, and they were asking him if he was all right. He had only been out 
you know, for a couple of minutes. Mm. Was the experience of the self. That is a grand experience of the self. That is what, uh, Eric, you're talking about. That true Buddhist monk, when they meditate for a long period of time, that's what they experience. They experience entire lifetimes in different ways. Yeah, that, it reminds me of there's this uh, funny cartoon called Rick and Morty where uh, they they went and played this video game on another planet. But what happens is it's I think it's called, uh, I don't know, Bob's or something. But he, they live an entire life in one single video game that takes like five minutes. And then, the, then like one of them finishes it and he's like, I can't believe you survived cancer. And then you went back to work at the carpet store, <laughs> but, but he, he gets out and he's like, uh, he, he didn't realize it, it was just a few minutes, but it like, anyway, th those kind of things happens because in the unconscious, and this is why that sometimes we can engage with something like an actual video game. And we don't realize sometimes a whole day will go by or we, we, if we're really engaged with our, creativity or our work or something or even just like uh, spending time with someone that we really care about it's like it can seem like a moment and a, a day will go by but then on the other hand if we're like anxious for something or we're like with someone that we're uncomfortable with like a minute can seem like a day you know that's how in consciousness time is this strange fourth well, dimension relative right. time is relative and and you're unconscious because right, it doesn't right. really exist because your unconscious has no past, present, or future. They all right. exist in one. Is, yeah. Kenan can see herself as a young child and know that she's not a child anymore and she doesn't need to be a mother's house, but she's stuck in mother's house and she's trying to get out. <clears throat> For example, not that you've had that dream, but that, that would be an experience. And that's why... Um, um, our well, client, our client says that everything, he said that every maneuver must be done exactly in reverse direction and in reverse mm -hmm. order or it would violate the laws of physics. So the essence of the unconscious violates the laws of physics. Well, what, what I think of this in maybe more of a practical thing, and it kind of gets into like what you do in champ or therapy is, okay, sometimes I've talked to people and they will like people and family or relationships that I've had in the past where they can look back at a certain interaction in the past and they can remember a certain way that is just very ego identification protects their ego, even if it's completely contrary to the reality that definitely happened. But then on the other hand, uh, you can look back at an instance and just look back at it and not need to, do anything but maybe draw meaning from it for uh how you can do what you ought to do in this present moment which might just be anything to dissolve your ego or uh to uh live your life as maybe you you ought to live uh, so how that we interact with the past and the future and the president even if or even if the past future and present are sort of illusions it's important how that we do that. And if the, and we can do it in a certain way that if we do it in a certain way, it can rewrite our future in a better way compared to if we do it in the wrong way, then it'll just inflate our ego. So what Van Franz would say is projection and recollection. Yeah. 
The projection is the ego. The ego is mm. a projection out into the world. As you become more and more integrated right. and less fearful of the world around you, the more you need to start accepting and acknowledging that the self is greater. Right. So in um, uh, what he says, uh, so Stein in page 168 says, um, which I really, really enjoyed. He says, the psychic system as a whole consists of many parts. Thoughts and archetypal images stand at one end of the spectrum. Representations of the drives and instincts at the other. What I want, what I want to eat, what do I do want to screw? Where do I want to live? How do I want to fly? How do I want to bathe? Who do I want to play with? In between are a vast amount of personal material, such as memories, forgotten and recalled, and all the complexes. The factor that orders this whole system and ties it all together is an invisible agent called the self. This is what creates balance among the various other factors and ties them together into one functioning unit the self is the center and it unifies the pieces but does so at a considerable distance like the sun influencing the orbits of the planets its essence lies beyond the boundaries of the psyche it is psychoid and it extends into regions beyond human experience and knowing in the sense Young made, young would say the self is infinite. At least we cannot say from empirical evidence where edges may lie. This is as far as young would go, as he notes in his autobiography. But it surely is a good distance. The self is infinite, but the self is the sun. We know. The sun gives us energy. We know it gives us life. Without the sun, we could not live. This planet has died. Living beings, organisms have died because of lack of sun. Now we also know that the sun is a symbol of the self. Like other things are a symbol of the self. Huh. All these pieces come back to represent one thing. The mirror you're staring at, what you see in the mirror is not what is there. It's always an illusion. The more you stare, and it's like it what they said about, uh, what did Nietzsche say? The more you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares it's back. Stares back, yeah. <laughs> So, with that said, I don't know if uh, Isaac, um, you have any last thoughts before we cap off our uh, pod? Um, I'll just, I, I like this uh, concept, which was like the first thing in the Sermons of De the Dead that is uh, also quoted in the first part of this chapter. Um, 
hearken, I begin with nothingness. Nothingness is the same as fullness. And infinity, full, is no better than empty. Nothingness is both empty and full. As well as might ye say anything else is nothingness. As for instance, what it is black, or again, it is not, or it is. Nothingness or fullness, we name the pleroma. And I wanted to kind of give that as a teaser one for seven sermons of the dead, because that's what it goes into um, that people should read. In fact, you can find even just the audio version read on YouTube. And then also encourage people to actually get this book if they haven't already, because it has some really good diagrams that we don't have the time to go into. And I couldn't get a really good uh, clear picture transposed anyway. Uh, so this stuff is infinite and it's also nothing. So <laughs> people should dive into it. And like I said at the beginning, have that experience of trying to understand it. And that experience is like what changes us, just like the sort of yoga principle of looking into the self. Shit, you're saying I'm nothing and I'm something at the same time? No, you're not nothing and something. You're nothing and everything. <laughs> oh, I Shit. like that. Yeah. <laughs> Karen, what are your ideas? Uh, yeah, just like I just said, I'm I'm experiencing it as I'm going through it, and I'm gonna take that as a win. That's a win, all right. Eric, any last it's, thoughts? Uh, it's been fun. I'll look forward to next week. With that, I am Dr. Lahab El Samurai. This is the Individuation Podcast, uh, the IFC's Individuation Podcast. We are happy for the new year. And as we can see, we tried to get away from the name of Corona and conflict for the year. It seems to only grow. So we are definitely moving away from Corona and conflict. And we're just going to kind of title our podcast as we like, because we are sick of conflict for now. We will return to conflict sooner or later. So for now, we have decided at the IFC that we are going to take a peaceful time and a meditative time mm. to see the orange clown out of White House and life go back to semi-normal. I know normal, normal is not going to always be there, but it's better than people barging in and destroying the people's house. With that, I bid you farewell and peace upon all of you. We miss all of you and we will see you next week. Karen, Isaac, and Eric, please say goodbye to our listeners. Uh, goodbye, everyone. Stay archetypal. <laughs> have a good, e have a good evening and keep on going and growing in your journey. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Individuation Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Karen, Isaac, and Dr. Al Samurai. We would also like to thank Eric for taking his time to come on and share his wisdom with us. We hope you enjoyed this chapter from the Young Map of the Soul. Tune in again next time to the Individuation Podcast for another episode soon. We at the Institute of Conflict greatly appreciate all of you listeners. 
please share the podcast with your friends and spread the word. If you would like to help expand our community, like us on Facebook and Instagram and give us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Sonia Mahmood and you've just listened to the Institute of Conflict Individuation Podcast. We'll be back soon.